If you've been around solid ground for a little while, you may have heard us talk about our mission statement. And our mission that drives us is to see lives changed by Christ. That gets me up in the morning. That turns my switch on when I hear about someone encountering Jesus Christ and their life is turned in a completely different direction. And you'll hear us around here talk a lot more about becoming a follower of Jesus Christ rather than becoming a Christian or even following the teachings of Christianity. And this is on purpose. The New Testament doesn't talk about becoming a Christian. The New Testament uses this ancient world. It talks about um, becoming a disciple, this ancient word. And the closest English equivalent we have is apprentice. Um, because in the in this disciple and rabbi system in the first century, the the apprentices or the disciples would follow their rabbi around, trying to uh, become because of they've been in such close proximity to the rabbi, they become like the rabbi, and that's the image of us following Jesus. We're around Jesus, and we learn to think like Jesus thinks, and want the same thing Jesus wants, and that's what makes us become like Jesus. So uh, first century people, they knew that a disciple, an apprentice was a follower, a learner. And uh, this, this first century disciples commitment was to a person, not even a creed or a contract. And this was very evident to first century anti-Christians. The, the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders, they weren't opposed uh, or even threatened, especially the Romans, weren't threatened by what the Christians believed or practiced. What really got under their skin was their allegiance to the person of Jesus Christ instead of an allegiance to Caesar. And it's sprinkled all throughout the New Testament because Caesar was called King of Kings and Lord of Lords or our Lord and Savior. When you read those as you, as you go through the New Testament scriptures, it's almost like putting it out there. It was very subversive, saying Jesus is King of Kings. Jesus is Lord of Lords and not Caesar. And to the Romans especially, it struck them as strange because in their minds, Jesus was dead. Like they killed Jesus years before that. And this is a very, very important distinction because as followers of Jesus, we are different from all other religions in the world. Uh, all religions point to three things. This uh, brilliant author, C.S. Lewis, uh, writes a lot about this. But most of the religions, if you boil it down, uh, they, they boil down to this. You ought to do these things. You don't. So you're toast. So uh, that's, that's my words of, of kind of boiling down of what C.S. Lewis wrote about in The Abolition of Man. And he wrote about, he lists several common oughts, things that you ought to do of the American Indians, the ancient Greeks, the ancient Chinese, Judaism, and then the, the religion of Christianity. And all of them boil down to this. Don't harm others. Don't lie. Don't have sex with another person's spouse care for those who are weaker. So in these systems, religion becomes about following a set of particular rules, the particular teachings of that church. And the other thing all major religions share is having additional laws regarding what to do when you break the law. Okay, you've blown it. Now you've got to do this and this and this to earn 
God's favor back or to earn the favor of the gods. And unfortunately, this kind of thinking crept into Christianity over the centuries. But in fact, Jesus and Paul taught something very different. So we try to relate to God through the filter of law. That's using the, the Jewish language there of, of, of all these things that I just listed. And there's like, even for someone who's not religious, it's crazy how there's something in our DNA that knows we're not supposed to lie. We're supposed to be faithful to our spouse, that, that it is the right thing to do to take care of, of people who are weaker than us or not as privileged as us. And, and we have this mental list of what God approves of and disapproves of. And then we judge God's love and acceptance of us based on our performance and specifically on the consistency of our performance. And if you've tried to do be the good little religious boy or girl and follow all the rules, maybe you're good at it for two or three months, two or three weeks, maybe two or three years. But eventually, if you're trying to do all the right things based on your self-control, your willpower, you will come to the realization that you can't do it. You can't perform at that high of a level all the time. So the church and your mama, they, they put that list there of all these things to do or whatever religion you, you grew up with. And usually it comes down to this, that God equals guilt. But the God that created this universe did not set things up that way. He doesn't say, since you can't measure up, you just need to give up. No, 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 no. Jesus and Paul taught something so much different than that. They offered a different way forward. And we've been talking for the past several weeks about Paul, and especially when he was trying to follow this religious system of trying to ruthlessly obey the Ten Commandments, he understood the endless cycle of trying and failing and trying and failing. And in his pre-Christian days, he was like the best religious man. He, he knew all the rules. And he, he, he wrote about it in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree. That law, I agree that it's good. And then in verse 18, he says, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. What a wretched man I am. And I love the question that he asks after that, a question that separates following Jesus from mere religion and going through the motions. He asks, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Because religion always asks, what? What do I need to do? What can I do differently? Uh, it asks, how do I get uh, what I need? How do I get comfort? How do I gain forgiveness? How do I get better? But following Jesus, uh, Jesus and Paul, they say the question is who? And Paul goes, goes on to say in verse 25, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul wrote that the purpose of these laws was to expose his inability to live up to God's standards. It, by human standards, 
absolutely impossible. It was the necessary path to failure that led to a completely different approach. Romans chapter 8 verse 3 says, For what the law was powerless to do, it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did. There's, there it is again. The what versus who. God did it for us. The law is only good at condemning. And most of us know that already at a gut level. We know that we're broken and we need an outside power outside of ourselves to get us back on the right track. Following, merely following the rules is powerless to restore identity. It's powerless to restore hope. The law doesn't help. It doesn't help us even keep the rules. Approaching the law is the human, it's like the default mode that we approach God with, but it eventually leads to defeat. A couple of weeks ago, we learned about the the reality of the way out of the struggle because of the who. In Romans chapter 6, verse 14, the Apostle Paul writes, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. We've talked for the past few weeks about relating to God through the filter of the law. When we do that, it empowers this entity of sin to have power over us. But Paul is pointing to this the true Christian life. It was never intended to be characterized by the mere imitation of Christ by keeping the rules, but it's by impartation. The power is given to us and it's, it's, it transfers us from the inside out. Jesus explains it like this in John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me, some translations say abide in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I love this scripture. I have to remind myself of this multiple times a day that, that I'm, supposed, I'm like a branch that's supposed to be connected to the vine. The vine is Jesus. That's where the life comes from. That's where the identity and the, the nutrients come from. The, the I am the vine, you are the branches does not sound like keep the Ten Commandments. It doesn't sound like, okay, God, I'll be good. I'll report in a little bit later. I'll see you. I'll see you tomorrow. Tell you how I did. No, it's profoundly relational, close proximity. So I want to us to just uh, think about this for a while and and suggest us some handles to carry this into our day-to-day life as we move forward. Because living free from the entity of sin, living free requires that you steer clear of trying to live by the law. Here's how Paul describes the way forward. In Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit. That means keep in step with the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. There's that image again of of an apprentice following their teacher. You're, you're, You're walking step in step. That's way different than uphold the teachings of the church. It's drastically different than obey the Bible or obey the Ten Commandments. And like we've said before, none of those are bad things. 
It's just, it's not how do we do those things. It's who will help us do those things. It's or who has already done those things. It's a, for I know, just take a deep breath. It's a new paradigm for a lot of us. And it's a paradigm that's very easy to forget. So when we think about being um, uh, in step with the Spirit, because you could say like, oh, what in the world? How does that happen? Like, what does that even look like? So Paul goes on to say, the result will be, the outcome will be, verse 16, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, this is different from trying not to fulfill the desires of the flesh. This is the difference. Like when we're walking in step with the Spirit, it's the difference of someone handing you a to-do list or a map, like a to-do list and saying, do all these things. Paul's not doing that here. Paul's not saying, here's the map of how you become a a law-fulfilling person and then God will help you. No, Jesus doesn't say, here's a map. He says, come follow me, I'll show you. There's a drastic difference. I remember the first time going to uh, Europe with my grandfather. He took a bunch of my cousins and he was speaking at a couple of different churches. And I remember being in France and my grandfather, his French was awesome. And he said in French, like, how do I get to this church? And the person in such a characteristically warm French hospitable way basically said, I think it is down the street there. And just kind of pointed. (laughs) It wasn't helpful at all. Contrast that with a few weeks later, we were in the country right next to France. It's like France's little brother, Belgium. And we were, we were driving to a country church. And we, we pulled over at a gas station. And we're like, how do we get to this church? And the person said, oh, I'll show you. Literally got out from behind the counter, got in his car, rolled down the window, and waved us and like actually drove us there. It's a massive difference. And a lot of us have grown up with the perception that God's just handing us a map saying, here's where you need to be, get there at any cost. But that's not, that's not what Jesus is doing. That's not what God has set up for us to do. We're supposed to follow Jesus and be in step with Jesus. He's the vine, we're the, we're the branches. And Paul goes on to talk about not fulfilling these fleshly desires. He says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. These are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. So like he's saying literally, you can't just do whatever you want because you struggle with these two things. This Romans 7 struggle that Paul talks about. Like, I know what I should do, but I just can't. Like, it's self-defeating. Either way, you can't get your way. If you're trying to strive and do what's good, then let's say you have some success. And after a couple weeks, you're thinking, look at me. I'm following all the rules. Well, then you're prideful and you've just broken all the rules. And if you've broken one, you might as well have broken all of them. Or if you completely flip the other way and say, I give up. It's just too hard. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let myself do whatever I want. Well, when you fulfill those desires of the flesh, that breeds death. When you go around um, doing the opposite of all these good things, there's gonna be death in your life, dysfunction, hurt, pain. So when you find yourself in the I want to but I shouldn't argument, 
uh, and you're, you're arguing with yourself, you're, that means that's like a, a, a yellow flag and it should be a red flag. Like stop, wait a minute, get your bearings because that's the language of approaching life through the system of law. And none of us can win at that. Paul goes on to say, but if, that means there's another way, but if you are led by the Spirit, it's a parallel idea to walk. You are not under the law. If you're under the Spirit, you're not under the law. Not if you try really hard, you'll, you'll be able to do the right thing. No, Paul's contrasting these two different approaches. You're either led by the Spirit, step by step, nourished moment by moment, or you're living under the law. And then he goes on to list, and these are like so obvious, the tone here is like, we don't even have to really list these because they're so obvious. But then he lists all these appetites that we struggle with. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I love, for those of us who've been following Jesus for a while, listing all of these things of fleshly desires, there's some of, there's some of those things that we're like, yep, yep, yeah, those things are really bad. But then it comes to things like uh, factions and dissension, and we're like, well, we'll just keep going. Like, we all have brokenness. And this is, a, if we're not careful, something that can pull us off track from walking in step with Jesus. That's why it's so important to keep that image of Jesus being the vine and us being the branches and that, that profoundly relational connection to Jesus. Um, because when we are connected to Jesus, this is what happens. Paul goes on to say in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit that's the, the corpus, the product, the outcome of walking in step with Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus also used that terminology. Um, it's what's done, it's something that's done in us when we're walking in step with the, with the Spirit. It's something that's produced in us and through us, but it's not produced by us. Like it's an agricultural kind of a term. Like, I love going to apple orchards. That's one of my wife's passions. She grew up in New England in an apple orchard. And when you go to an apple orchard, it's peaceful. And there's a lot of work going on. But you don't get the sense that the trees are going, all right, got to make some apples now. You know, like, it's, some, it's a process that happens in the tree and through the tree. But the tree itself isn't willing itself to, to create fruit. It's what they were created to do, but because they're connected to the land and nourished by forces outside of themselves, this process happens in them and through them. And as we're walking with the Spirit, this is the fruit that our lives produce. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So 
for all my type A people, I love you and I need you in my life. A lot of you are thinking, oh, there's the list. I've got to go out and be more patient. I'm going to be more patient if it kills me. Um, or, or, or if you're on the other end of the spectrum, you're like, I just need some self-control. Okay, I got to go do it. No, 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 no. It's not a to-do list. It's not even a map. This is what happens in you and through you as you walk in step with the Spirit, as you remain connected to Jesus like a branch to a vine. This is evidence that Jesus is still with you and you are still with Jesus and that Jesus is at work in you and through you. Paul goes on to say in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desire. That means sin's power is dead. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now that's keeping in step with Jesus instead of keeping the law. That's true Christianity. So we've gone through a lot over the past few weeks. And maybe you've just caught up and you've gone back and watched the po- or listened to the podcast or watched some of our services. But by now we're like, okay, we're supposed to walk in step with the Spirit and we're supposed to be connected to the vine. But what does that mean? What do we do? I think it's just, maybe you're thinking, I think it's just easier to feel guilty about being a failure and, and just getting forgiveness and doing that cycle. And, and that's you know maybe where you're at in the journey and, and God can meet you right where you're at. But that keeping the law type of life eventually it needs to lead you to a connection to Jesus Christ. Uh, But if you're tired of that, here are three steps. It's not a silver bullet, but here's the handles I'm talking about. Three, Three beginning steps to walking in step with the Spirit. And the first one, and this is huge, and it sounds simple, but it can take a lifetime to work its way from our heads into our hearts, and that is Accept our new identity. Surrender your life to Jesus. We've talked about that, that that Jesus rescues us from this Adam system that we were in and, and condemned by sin and taken out of that and placed in Christ. You are no longer in Adam. That's not a part of your identity anymore. You're no longer a slave to sin, condemned by this law that you can't keep consistently and trying to win God's approval. You've been rescued from that. You are in Christ, and the reality is that you are dead to the power of sin. You are loved unconditionally, and you are a conduit for God's life to run through you. That's who you are. Embrace this new approach. Like I said, it's easy to understand, but it's a, it takes a long time to work its way through you. But as you do that, maybe maybe you write some of those things down in your journey. Uh, there were there was a period of seven years where every morning in my journal I would write, "I am loved by God. I cannot earn it. I cannot lose it. I am made brand new. Like I am a, a loved, beloved son of God." And those things were all true of me when I surrendered my life to Jesus. But I needed to remind myself of that new identity that was imparted to me. And it wasn't because of anything I did. I just surrendered to it. And that is beginning to work its way through my mind and through my heart. And it's affecting the way I treat my family, the way I work, the way I carry myself. 
um, in my day-to-day life, embracing this new approach is extremely, extremely important. And ask God to bear through, to bear fruit through you as you keep in step with God's Spirit and, and stop asking God to, to help you be a good little boy or good little girl, uh, to, to do your best and to stay out of trouble. Like, God, I've been naughty again. Like, God's already said, oh, that's not your master anymore. And submit yourselves. And you're, maybe instead of saying, God, help me to behave like a good person, in the morning you submit all the members of your body as instruments of righteousness. Saying, God, I give you my mind. Like we challenged a, uh, a few days ago. I give you my ears. I give you my hands. I give you my feet. These are yours. Sin does not control these things anymore. And ask Christ to live his life through you. Because you and I, we can't do it on our own. But absolutely take it to the bank. Jesus Christ can do this through us as we surrender to Jesus, even down to the physical parts of our body and refuse to interact on the basis of law, refuse to interact with God uh, on that basis of, I did it again, here we go. No, that's, God would say, that's not your identity anymore. Doesn't excuse behaviors. God, there's forgiveness and all that, but God doesn't want us coming in going, well, here I go, I did it again. It's, it's much more like, ah, that's not me. Yeah, that came out of my mouth, or those thoughts came out of my mouth, but those, those don't control me anymore. And I have, I have access to the power of God. So it's not, I did it again. It's, I got out of step. Jesus, connect me to you. Uh, I, I need you. This Christian life is not imitating good behavior. It's a life of, of impartation, where Christ has given you. You have access. The moment you surrender your life to Jesus, you have access to a new identity and a new power flowing through you, Christ's life in you. So what the law and all the rules were powerless to do, God did it by sending his son as the payment for our law-breaking. And then he gave life to us lawbreakers. At the cross, the power of sin was broken, and we've been set free, for we have died, and Jesus is alive in us. Now that we're in Christ, everything that was true of Christ is true of us because of what Jesus did. So let's desire to live this life uh, and let Jesus live his life through us as we keep in step with him and walk in step with the Spirit. And you may be sitting there on your device thinking, wow, this sounds like a lot of touchy-feely, hocus-pocus, mystical nonsense. And I totally get that. I understand that. And um, you, uh, you've probably got things to do and you're thinking, Mike, man, this, that doesn't really work in the real world. But just as a reminder, we've been spending a lot of time with the Apostle Paul and he was a real world guy. He was hustling. He wasn't a fancy travel around the world speaker guy. Like he, he traveled around the Mediterranean Rim on a boat. Like not a yacht, not a, not a pleasure cruise. This is a guy who put this stuff into practice and started uh, to put it into business terms. It's a little bit crude, but he started all the Jesus franchises in the ancient Roman world. Like all the other, a lot of the other apostles stayed in Jerusalem and, and Paul went out 
to talk to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, and made, con made Jesus followers out of so many people in the world. He knew what it was like. He was beat up for his faith. He was taken out and stoned and left for dead. Like this is battle-tested of a way of living life, and it does work in the real world. It's not what most people do, realizing that they have a new identity in Christ and that they're following Jesus and, and, and radically following Jesus. Yeah, and it, it may not have seemed super successful in the first century, but this is the kind of life that changed human history. This is the kind of life that, that you and I can allow Jesus to live through us. But if we, if we go back to the old system and just try to, to be a good moral person, eventually we'll come to realize like we can't and we'll be broken. But people come to faith through brokenness. People come to faith at a place of desperation where they cry out, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't handle this anymore. And if you ever get to that place, you know, no one here at solid ground is gonna say, told you so, well finally, now you get it. Not crossed arms. Like if you're in that place today, my goodness, know that, that you're, you're in good company. Like even the guy who wrote this stuff had been in that place. No one's gonna say, I told you so. We've all been there. And, and if you want more information or a guide along the journey and you wanna become a follower of Jesus Christ, please reach out to us. We would love to pray with you and journey with you and walk with you. But the invitation to us all is to every day to freely confess, Lord, I can't, but you can through me. And those are the first starting steps towards true freedom in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, we need your help to understand this. God, for those that are struggling in that cycle of trying to perform, trying to earn worth, uh, putting our identity in anything other than you, uh, God, I pray that you will use this moment of brokenness to remind us that you are always just one step away. We call out to you right now. Say, Jesus, save us. We put our faith in you and our trust in you. And God, as we begin to take these steps, even right now I'm reminded of your scripture that says the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Would you please show us the steps to take? May your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And may we look over our shoulder as we follow you and look back and see the fruit of the spirit, the things that you've done in us but give us the courage to follow you one step at a time and one moment at a time. In Jesus' name we pray. So until we meet again, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know how you're doing, how we can pray for you. You can do that at sgbic.com. And until then, I'd love the privilege of saying a pastoral blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you and remind you of who you really are. May you experience new levels of freedom and may the knowledge that you are in Christ transform you from the inside out. May you sense God smiling upon you and may God give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We'll see you next week.